While this podcast can be helpful for you, it does not replace a relationship with a licensed healthcare provider. I wanted to give a quick trigger warning. This episode is about mental health. So a couple of things we'll be discussing is self-harm and suicide, mental illness, and racism. Your discretion is advised. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Take Care of Black Etowah. It's been a long time since I've podcasted and I've honestly missed talking to y'all. I had to take my own advice last semester and do a serious boundary check because I had so many things on my plate. Now that I am back, I'm ready to dive back in with this episode. And in this episode, I will be talking about something that I hold dear to me and experiences that I faced over the years that will resonate with me. And I hope that it will resonate with y'all as it did for me. Today, we are talking about mental health. Now, let's be honest, mental health care has not always been the best in the US. Mental illness has carried a lot of stigma across demographics, but even as we do progress in how we understand mental health and advancing mental health care, accessibility, stigma, cultural norms, and racism still remain the biggest obstacles for communities of color and impoverished communities. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, socioeconomic status was the greatest risk factor for poor mental health outcomes. Historically, black Americans have been subjected to systematic oppression, slavery, sharecropping, and exclusion from health, educational, social, and economic resources has created a socioeconomic disparity in a sizable wealth gap that continues to affect black families to this day. One in five black and African-American people in the U.S. lived in poverty as of 2018. And while black Americans are less likely than white people to die from suicide at all ages, Adult Blacks and African Americans are more likely to have feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and worthlessness than adult Whites. Socioeconomic status and the persistence of hardship and adversity can be hard to deal with on a continual basis. And with a lack of accessible and affordable mental health care, these communities must find alternative ways to cope with psychological distress. How do these problems of mental health manifest in a community? rampant substance abuse and alcoholism, high rates of crime, and poor education outcomes. Now, it's completely understandable that when your mental health is not taken care of, it can lead to poor decisions and unhealthy ways to cope. We are human, and this is likely to happen to anyone. But one thing about communities of color, and especially Black Americans, is the continual adversity we have experienced throughout history has created a cultural expectation of resilience. We have experienced so many atrocities against us for so many generations and still have found ways to carry on that the mere idea that someone, something as intangible like mental illness is unacceptable. This led to archetypes and a fixation of strength in our communities. The superwoman schema is one that we've talked about in previous episodes. Black men throughout history have been killed, incarcerated, or financially studded as providers because of systematic racism. 
And coupled with patriarchal expectations, black women have been left to bear the brunt of family responsibility. One thing that I would like to highlight in this episode is that black men are put in a predicament where they sit at an intersection that puts them at great risk for poor mental health outcomes. There is an expectation of strength in the general black community, but for men, there is a gender-based expectation. This creates a culture of hyper-masculinity for black men. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, black men were less likely to report having serious psychological distress than black women, but committed suicide at four times the rate of black women. The rate is also higher for suicidal ideation. This is startling numbers, y'all. And the most difficult thing about it is that suicide is the result of untreated psychological distress. So black men are suffering and we are unlikely to even detect it until it's too late. Admittingly, it is difficult for men, but particularly black men, to come forward and begin treatment for mental health issues. Not just within our own families, but even when seeking professional and external help, historical and current instances of negative treatment have led to a mistrust of authorities many of whom are not seen as having the best interests of black and brown people in mind. What's worse, mental health interventions often rely on involvement with the police, putting black men in danger. One realm black men are truly safe to express themselves and verbalize their emotions is through music. That was artist Sabio the Great, a Gatsa native. His song Suicidal Thoughts details in clarity the type of internal conflict black men face today and the type of emotional clarity black men are often discouraged to talk about. Throughout history, black men have always used music to speak their truths, from spirituals during slavery, blues, and R&B. Black men have been able to express difficult emotions and frustrations in their daily lives. Kendrick Lamar's ballad, You, from To Pimp a Butterfly, details the dark thoughts that plagued his mind and his struggle to cope through alcoholism. Other artists like Rod Wave and Lil Baby express frustrations with external forces like systematic racism and mass incarceration. In Lil Baby's song, The Bigger Picture, he comments on police brutality and systematic racism in America in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and his sustained hope for younger generations. There are plenty of more examples of black men in their songs speaking their truths with striking honesty. So it is evident that black men do have these difficult emotions and outside of creative expression, they are internalizing them. So the question is, how do we get them to come forward and be more open about their mental health so that interventions can be met before tragic outcomes? This answer is not an easy one. There is so much that we can do as an individual to combat systematic racism, which plays a huge part in mental distress. However, the best thing that we can do is change the narrative around mental health, destigmatizing mental illness, normalizing seeking treatment for it, and talking openly about mental illness with our younger generations is the best thing that we can do as individuals to help close these disparities.
In the next half of my podcast, I will be speaking with Dr. Linda J.M. Holloway about her work, how to build a healthy foundation for mental wellness, and believing and manifesting your dream in the face of oppression. Dr. Holloway is the program coordinator of the Counseling Education Program at Alabama State University in Montgomery, Alabama. After serving 27 years in the United States Army Reserves, Dr. Holloway continues her commitment to the community by researching and advocating for mental health wellness in the Black community. Her research interests include Black women in mental health and Black women in career development. Dr. Holloway is also the author of two children's books, I Love My Happy Hair and Little Miss Linda Goes to Counseling. Before I sprinkle this Black girl magic on your ears, we are going to take a short break. So um, the first thing I want to go through is, I guess, your occupation. What do you do? Currently right now, I am the program coordinator for Alabama State University Master's in Program and Counseling. We have uh, two Pacific areas, and they are clinical mental health and school counseling. So I've been in this role. This is going into my third year, and I'm a counseling educator. So I basically, I train master's level counselors in the area of counseling education. Awesome. Yes, I love it. So you're basically training the ground troops when it comes to mental health and, and basically the guardians of mental health for people who are school in school. Um, is it like um, school centric at the college level or is it much younger than that? Who are you training? For? The school program is basically for those K through 12. So mm-hmm. it's in that area. Those are for the masters in the area of school counseling. When you start talking about school psychologists, that's when you get into the other areas. Mm, okay. All right. So that is something that I want to talk about specifically K through 12. So my podcast is just a, a platform for college age, but also K through 12, because a lot of our behaviors, a lot of who we are is developed during that crucial time. And I think one thing that is overlooked, and especially in the Black community, is the importance of mental health wellness for young people. It can shape their entire future. It can shape how they see themselves and how they behave uh, going into the real world, per se. So um, what, in your experience, do you have dealing with mental health in the Black community? Well, just to kind of give you a background, I actually grew up in an all-Black town in Mount Bayou, Mississippi, which is, uh, for some people, it's considered the oldest, but you'll hear about another town that Zora Hurston Nelson, I think Zora Hurston was born in Florida, but Mount Bayou was actually an all-Black town. So all of my um, training and education has been really focused on how can I improve the Black community. So in going to undergraduate at Alcorn and getting my master's at Jackson State and Mississippi State, uh, even when I did my thesis as well as my dissertation, it was centered around improvement and empowerment of the Black community. But one of the things I quickly learned, particularly at the doctoral level, is that there is a true need for mental wellness, emotional wellness, for people to talk about it always will kind of go back. So I had my first real true experience in my doctoral program. I worked at a clinical mental health, and I saw that there was really a a need to try to educate, because oftentimes when I would even just tell people what I was majoring in or what I planned on doing, 
doing. I could see that the resistance, it would always go to, well, I'm not crazy. I don't necessarily need that. So that stigma was there. So trying to destigmatize that, that was my motivation. So my work was really around just raising awareness and education. And in terms of my training and being in the classroom, there were various schools that I went to did not have a class in multicultural, counseling and culturally different. And then it later became a, of course, it was a requirement for you to get your LPC. And so I created the course and I began to teach that course. So I just kind of became known as a diversity cultural teacher. But I teach it more from a historical perspective. And most people would say, well, why do you want to talk about history? Uh, Why do we have to talk about that? But to get them to understand the groups. And when we look at the groups from a historical perspective, we could see the trauma that they had gone through. But how was they managing this trauma or what does it look like? And then just kind of looking around and realizing that we were not really seeing the training. You did, were not finding a lot of people of color or African-Americans in that area. So all of those things along with reading and studying and just looking at the challenges that was uh, faced in the Black community. Because even when you look at the criminal system, a lot of statistics say that a lot of the youth that go into that, they have mental issues, but they're not treated for those issues. And so mm-hmm. one of the things we often say is let's treat the root of the problem instead of the fruit of the problem. So I often talk to my students about if you just chop away the leaves and you never get to the root, those leaves going to keep reproducing. And so you don't really get a true understanding of what is actually going on. So when you put all that together in a pot, that kind of just led me down that path. And then I said, okay, I can't because my teaching philosophy is classroom without walls. So I said, I have to go out into the community. So what can I do? And oftentimes, like you think about what is your skill, particularly in the black community, do you sing, do you dance? So what type of things that I wanted to give back to my church and to my community? So I said, well, I got the gift of gab. I can start (laughs) making people aware of, you know, what it means to be mentally well and how to manage that. And that it's okay when you're not okay to get the support you need. So hopefully that kind of gives you a a pretty broad brush perspective of what I do, how I got into doing what I do and what it looks like. Mm, Thank you for all that. I just like, there was just truth bombs falling out the sky with that. Thank you for giving us the rundown and how you really got to this point in your career and what kind of impact you're trying to make with the black community. Cause I think that's important to notify you're making an impact and you know it's with you working um in the department that you are and training these different counselors to be culturally competent with their uh care for their um clients but also with your children's books you're going straight to the one thing that children absorb the most and that's books and i wanted to talk about that because whenever <laughs> I, just uh, so everyone for the record i know about dr holloway from listening to a webinar where she talked about her book little miss linda goes to counseling and in this in this webinar i got to hear from this book different aspects or different issues that a lot of black youth deal with when they come when it comes to their mental health to me i felt like it it personalized it and i was able to see these issues as things that happen in my life, not as just something on a screen or a paper that you read, but something that happens to all of us. And so um, I just wanna ask about, you know, this book is 
it has little Miss Linda. She's a black little girl and she goes to school and, and as she's going through her life, she starts her, her health and her mental health starts deteriorating. And it looks like she's getting more tired and tired. She doesn't want to do certain things. And I will go ahead and, and turn it to you so you can talk about well, what mental health issues are being signaled in the book that kind of reflects what happens to other black youth whenever they're going about their day to day. Just a, a broad overview in terms of the book and, and mm -hmm. how and what she's going through and how that reflects in the Black community. She actually had, she comes from a two-parent home and mm -hmm. on the outside, it looks like everything is going great. She lives in a big house. She's doing really well in school, but she just can't figure out why this sadness, this overwhelming of sadness that she's experiencing. Her friends mm -hmm. like her and she masks this, but eventually what she does in the background is she began to pray and she just asked God if he could just take this pain away if it would just go away she said I know that I'm feeling really blue and she said but I have everything in my life and I'm not even sure why I'm feeling this way and so oftentimes you will see that in the black communities particularly among classes when you it's like I'm doing well as we say we have a place to live we have clothes so why is it that I'm feeling sad? I don't even have the right to feel sad. Mm. Why should I be feeling sad? Because we think that, okay, if I got a black eye, if I got, then okay, that might be justifiable. But I'm just feeling blue and my emotional health is not well. So she she tries to communicate this even to her parents. And they're not really, they just say, oh, it's probably going to a new school. So that's another level. Oftentimes when we as black people, we tell people how we're feeling and they'll say, oh, you'll get over it. Uh, you know, people have mm -hmm. marched across the Pedimus Bridge. They have fire hoses against their back. Mm -hmm. They've been in jail cells. You know, you, you came through slavery. If you've made it through slavery, then you can make it over. They'll give you a scripture, uh, you know, something and tell you to pray about it. So she's doing those spiritual things. But after three months, it's like, I'm still feeling this way. It's got to be something. So she began to research it and she shares it with her friends who her friends do not, um, they support her and basically take her to the counselor. And it is at this point, the book is allowing young people to say that it's okay to share in a safe place and then to seek out that professional help that you need. And it's through this professional help that she's able to see that she can overcome this. And from that, what she does is she starts a podcast and she starts to reach out to other people. Call, she called it, let's talk about it. And she realized that this is a great platform to see other young people to come in and to let them know that it is okay to seek professional help when you're not emotionally well. So she tries to destigmatize it and say that, you know, you should get the help that you need. And then she kind of ends it with um, um, a commitment from students. Basically, she has, a, I guess you call it like a pledge and basically t telling them the things that they could commit to and so that they can seek the help they need. And so what you see, once again, if I can kind of summarize that, is you see the unmasking of, of her feelings. You're seeing her going to seek professional counseling, letting people know that it's okay. And then finding her support group, which was her friends who supported her to go to counseling. And then also taking this information to a broader perspective and saying, it's, it's okay to seek professional help. 
So everything that you sounded out was uh, a story that's familiar to all of us, you know, and I've experienced that too with my, my own thing, you know, often in the black community, they, they let you know, well, we went through this, we went through this. Why are you blue? You have no reason to be blue, you know, cause you have it better than your ancestors did. And we get fed that and we feel kind of guilty to even feel that way. So we silence ourselves. And I think that was very, in the book, I felt like I was looking in a mirror for the first time that was verbalized and it made me not feel so alone um, with those feelings. And I do appreciate you bringing that to the book because I think kids need to recognize those kind of feelings and and know, just like little Miss Linda, you can't ignore it, you know? Um, and I think the most important part is little Miss Linda didn't even stop at, you know, addressing her own issues. She went out and advocated um, for herself and advocated for mental health wellness. And I think that's really important is destigmatizing mental health uh, wellness and really addressing it like it should be. Um, so another thing that I wanted to bring up, little Miss Linda, you know, everything is going good in her life. She has all these things that, you know, she can appreciate a two parent household and she's doing good in her classes. But there's other and this is important to say in the black community, sometimes we can be on the wrong side of the tracks or we can be um, what they want to say, a stereotype threat where we may be having bad grades or we may be getting in trouble. And then you also have, while you may feel negatively about yourself mentally, you also have society saying, hey, uh, you're good for nothing. You're a thug or da, da, da. Also reaffirming those beliefs. So for those people in those positions, uh, those tough positions where they kind of get, that oppression gets to them, how would you say, how can they bring themselves out of that? That's a really hard thing, um, I guess, for me to answer. Because what I see is when you get in these schools, especially K through 12, you experience that. I think my brother's experienced that as well. You know, he was going through the mental health tribulation just as any person would, but he also had reinforcers, like teachers saying that he wasn't gonna make it out of school. What kind of impact does that kind of nay naysayers and oppression do to a kid? A very uh, excellent question. I really like that question because mm -hmm. basically what you're saying is I am an eternally telling myself that I'm not okay. And the world is also telling me the same thing. So how can mm -hmm. I come back that? And there is no simple answer to that, but there is a process of journey. We call it cognitive restructuring and we have mm -hmm. life affirmations. So what we try to do is, particularly in uh, people of color, African-American community, is make sure they're positive images and showing them and make sure they're reading things that affirms that it is, a, you are okay. And, and, and reinforcing that instead of the, um, the negative. And maybe even just things like keeping a journal. Like if whatever you're telling yourself, write those things down and then just reverse it. So when you find yourself saying, oh, I'm really dumb and you know I'm feeling dumb. I, I did bad on my test. And said, so I didn't do as well as I expected, but I plan to do better. I can yeah. do better. And then being, knowing that if there is a deficit or something that you cannot do, because oftentimes we see ourselves as superhuman. We're supposed to be good at everything. 
but just being okay that if I'm not good at that, that does not mean that I'm bad or that Mm -hmm. I'm insufficient, but I may need additional help. And so just providing support systems and putting things in place for that. And of course, when you have an authority figure telling you that and reinforcing that, and you have images, that's kind of can be very challenging. But we have moved into spaces where we have more Black authors, we have, you know, spoken word, we have more people that are putting information out there that say, it's okay to be Black. And just kind of reaffirming that and taking a stand for that. But when you live in a society as we have now, that we're challenged with a lot of things that are going on, you know, people being shot, things that are happening. Even just today with the storming of the Capitol, people Mm. began to say of color, if that group would have looked like this, how would differently they would have been treated? They would have never made it that far. So being aware, once again, raising that awareness that people do get treated differently, but how do you combat that? And so what people are doing is spend a lot of time educating, but not only just educating African-Americans, but educating other people, police, when you come in contact with someone of a different race, how what, what is it about them that you feel the need to treat them more harshly than you would someone else? Because the question then becomes is if that group was Black today, would they have made it past those checkpoints? Mm-hmm. But they'd be on top of the building with flags. They'll be called thugs, everything. They would not, but probably more killings, a lot of those things. And so that people internalize that and they talk about something they call white privilege. Mm. Uh, but once again, your question is, how do we help young youth? How do we help by starting early, educating, showing them positive role models, make sure that what they are getting through their eye gates and their ear gates is saying something good, whether it's the music they listen to that it affirms who they are. And mm. if they're listening to something that is, it is um, putting them down, uh, negative, then we need to, as parents, adults, not saying that you don't listen, but say, well, what, what message, what's motivating you to do this? Because we're not going to be with our kids 24-7, and they like a lot of different things. You know, they like, you know, rap or different things, but saying, to, but be, be, being a part of that discussion, you know, how does this make you feel? How does this take you to the next level? And just really just constantly doing that. You will find in other communities, whether it's Jewish, that they have schools that actually train them and teach them the positive aspect of our history. We have to understand that our history did not begin and end in 1619 in Jamestown on the slave ship, that we had history before then. And and that the people that they might show is not representative of the whole African-American population. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of re-education, a lot of re-education and doing positive things that show the the positive Mm -hmm. and then providing the support to those students who are not uh, able to excel in those areas and capitalizing on their strength. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there was a book that came out many years ago and it talked about emotional intelligence. And sometimes people look at intelligence as paper and, uh, you know, a pen to the paper, you know, what you score. But maybe this particular test did not measure my creativity, did not measure other things that I'm really good at and being able to use those things and bring them in the classroom. And we have seen 
with African-American students that learned through rap, you know, countries, uh, uh, math, that they were able to put this rhythm to their uh, schoolwork and do a rap or something. And they were able to learn uh, subjects that they thought that they could not learn. But we mm -hmm. also have to keep in mind that a lot of these students may be first generation students. So their parents may only have seven or eight grade education. So they're coming from a community that may not be able to empower them or support them. They just say, okay, go get an education. And mm -hmm. I am first generation. There were nine children. I'm the first one to go to college. And sometimes you get messages like, oh, how long are you going to be in school? And you feel mm -hmm. kind of alienated. You feel kind of isolated. And you want to reach back and say, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me navigate this? But when you're going through uncharted terrain yourself, you can feel because you might be the only one of your color in those situations mm -hmm. and so if the message is you're not good enough then you almost have to be super good because how could you get here if I know for myself I'll tell you things that I've done pretty much what I'm sharing now is read about positive things watch positive movies uh and, and do affirmations mm -hmm. it's kind of like when you think about the little book about that little engine that said it was going up that I can yeah kept saying, I can I can I can I can and you just keep telling yourself because you realize that you crossing this wall or breaking this barrier that you are making a way and leaving a legacy for other people to come behind you yes thank you for dropping those like that that wisdom I think that's something that people don't get that kind of honesty and clarity about uh, the tribulations that uh, maybe say a, a lower socioeconomic or a BIPOC student may face. And a lot of things that you touched on, especially was um, being surrounded by negativity, whether it is your family, if you are a first generation student and your parent may not understand, they may have been harmed by the educational system. So they may, you know, those, those harms that were done to them, it kind of perpetuates itself by, you know, they not understanding um, or, or being able to support their child the way they can um, in their education. They may not know how to. And I think that's important to know. And then also um, another thing that you highlighted is aff affirmations and then also having that support system or those people that are able to uh, support with cultural competence in these schools. I think one people don't, people don't realize how important it is to have culturally competent teachers or teachers who understand where these black students are coming from. Because to me, I feel like, and I'm, this is no slight to teachers because teachers go through it. I understand when they go through a lot during the day, I get how they can make slip ups or things like that. But a teacher's job is the most important job. And the counselor, uh, the guidance counselor's job is the most important job in these schools because they actually can detect problems before they happen. But it's whether they are able to detect them that determines the outcome. And I think that's what happens with some of these black students. They don't, they're not able to, when they don't understand this person or this kid may come from a background that isn't equipped to support them, their education, they may see it as them being lazy or them not wanting to participate in education. And they may be like, oh, well, they're not going to do anything when really they, their parents don't know how to support them in that way. And so I think um, really, yes, you're right. Uh, having that support system that is able to understand those cultural barriers that, um, 
will really drive that student out of those dark places. You know, I used to be a, a I guess a pessimist when it comes to affirmations. Like, why are people always saying, making these little lines of words saying, oh, I affirm I'm going to be where the money reside or something like that. I'd be like, ah, that's a bunch of baloney. But it's literally true. It's true. I have seen people who, who have done amazing things and be able to practice resilience just, for, just from practicing affirmations and believing in themselves. And whether that comes from religion or yourself, you know, I've seen it work. So thank you for sounding that out because that is something that people don't recognize there's power in being able to regulate yourself uh, through whether it's affirmations or being able to co-regulate with a support system. And just to kind of extend that a little bit, when you mm-hmm. think about, um, it says, so is a man, think it, so is he. And, mm-hmm. the, and they actually wrote a little small book on that. And this book, you know, it's it your thought process that come to positive thinking. Of course, that's just not alone that I tell myself that I can be this, but I also got to put, with affirmation, you got to get in action. So it's just not that I'm going to tell myself this and not put any action with it. So there is an action to it, but I am building myself up because I'm resisting. You think about Muhammad Ali. He would say, I'm a sing like a butterfly, fly like a bee. He would tell himself this and then he would get in a ring and actually be able to do this because that, that that's a good example of someone who believe in something and have the faith that it can't be done. It does seem that way. But when you talk about a person without a vision and we talk about having a vision or having a dream. So you think about Dr. Martin Luther King, he had a dream, you know? And so these people would say, and that's a visualization. He said, I may not get there. I may not get to see this, but this is what we would have. And so people rally around this concept. And I'm here in Montgomery, Alabama, where they did the mm. Montgomery voice boycott movement. And that was, grew out of a vision out of a dream, that people said, I will not ride the bus. I will not do this. And can you imagine walking not just 365 days, but over that and bankrupting a system because we're talking about systems now that mm-hmm. they were able to overcome because they told themselves that I will not do this. Mm, I love it. I love it. And that's the thing um, that I want, you definitely highlighted something about the black community in our past. We've been able to thrive in these really horrible situations and horrible times in history because of those affirmations or those believing in ourselves when no one else can and putting action behind it. And I just want any Black youth that is listening to that, that's your history. That's that's your ancestors who did that. And so you, it is, it is your right to exercise the same thing. You know, treat, treat yourself in and be aware of your issues, Be have clarity behind your issues. But you come from a history, baby. That's why I tell everybody, um, the South breeds the most powerful leaders because we've been able to gain resilience. And that's something that every Black youth should know. And that's the images they should have in school. Um, I'm going to uh, wrap up in a little bit, but I did want to go into uh, a couple more things about your organization, Divine Destiny Institute. I know you mentioned dreams, and I wanted you to talk about that institute. So from what I've read, it's basically an organization where your advocacy and your empowering of Black 
the black community helps guide their dreams and things like that. But do you want to go into talking about that? I can. It's um. It's right now. It's it's very informal, but basically, mm-hmm. it just we've covered a lot of it already. It's mm-hmm. just um, really having people to find, uh, know that they have a purpose in life and mm-hmm. being able to give them the skills and tools to be able to reach that and to believe in whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, not that they have to have something really astronomical. Uh, one of the things that if you're a baker and you mm-hmm. want to be good at baking, uh, if you want to do uh, detailing is having people to believe in that, be able to set that up and say, okay, how can you t- monetize this? How can you take your purpose, your passion and turn it into a profit? Mm. And what skills do you need to be able to do that? So that's reaching your divine destiny. But basically that program is really designed to work with the women and, um, that, that's, that's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. I, mm-hmm. I talk about it in the classroom because a lot of times you'll have students that are pursuing their master's degree and it's like, okay, I'm here now. I'm looking at the job market, but I think I want to do something different. And so we start talking about what skills do you have? So I had a former student who went into coaching and has done a phenomenal job, start writing books and things like that because that's the platform that he wanted to use. I had another one who said, you know, I necessarily, I like counseling, but I don't want to sit behind and um, and just do one-on-one counseling. I was going to say behind the desk, but we don't do it behind the desk. So he ended up going into educational leadership, but he took the route of working with Upward Bound. And so you, so you can kind of see where, I'm, so once again, still educating, elevating and empowering people to be the best that they can be. I have students, I often tell them, make sure you have at least three streams of income because when one stream dry up, you have the other ones. You may not be making as much. It may be dribbling, but at least you have that. And so I had a student who really liked doing craft. And one year when she got her, money back from her loan and she paid off everything she started doing a lot of stuff for the greek organizations on campus uh people who was putting on workshops and seminars and it just really took off while she was in school and a lot of the young people really crafty about using you know twitter the internet all these things and marketing their stuff and she said i had no idea that you know people wanted these items and I could produce them. And so we talked about just making sure she had a portfolio where she would take pictures of stuff. And it, it really came in handy for you know different holidays. So that's what it's all about is yes, I have an education, but how do I take this education and market it into real time where I'm able to provide for myself? Young people, a lot of times, and, and that's one of the reasons they said, well, I don't see myself going to school. I can go and work at the Honda place. I can go and work at the I'm going to make more money. My brother went to college and he can't even find, I actually made more money than him. And so we have to talk about uh, the productivity aspect of that, but doing something that you are passionate about that you feel like that is your purpose. So that's the whole essence around Divine Destiny Institute. And I I don't tell people to quit your day job. I say, (laughs) that's gonna pay for your passion. 
But mm-hmm. in the meantime, and, and provides you your health care and things like that. But in the meantime, you are building that. And one person that I have followed and I really admire is Lisa Nichols. And she mm-hmm. tells the story so well. She had $11.42. She went to the same workshop for 42 times, but she was working on her dream. And now she is a transformation speaker that goes all over the world. And doing oh what she does. And so I introduced that into my class. I introduced, and when I introduced uh, Steve Harvey, they were like, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to read about him? But the same way he wrote a book on um, how to think and act like a man, he wrote a book on how to think and act and be successful. And he told about his journey. Most the students didn't know he had lived in a car, he had got fired and, and how he had to really make it where it is, where he is today. And so those kinds of things motivate people to say, okay, I can do that. And I can use my degree in counseling in a multitude of ways. So hopefully I answered your question and gave you a little background about the Vine Destiny. Yes, I love it. Do is there access to that? Uh, you say it's like webinars and things like that, or is it just one on one with your uh, master's students? Well, right. Now, well, I, the plan was that I would kick it off in the community and do it, and so even here I was going to be working with the uh, Boys and Girls Club, but with the pandemic and everything, I haven't been able to do it. I do, like I said, mostly been doing it in the classroom or when I get an opportunity as far as in the church, I will talk about it. Or sometimes when somebody wants to do something like women are making the transition from prison and just talking to them, trying to find out what it is that they can do. So it has not taken his arms, wings, and legs. But once again, I put it out there so hopefully I can do a little bit more with it well thank you so much for asking yes I loved it when I read about it I was like "Ooh, I need to get into that because I that kind of support we already talked about it that kind of support is vital to to forming someone into their true self into what they want to do and um I think that kind of push or that support that you give is something that I guess in the black community, we, we don't have a lot of sources for that. Um, sometimes we do, but we don't know where to find these sources. We don't know. Sometimes we'll go to the wrong people. Like I said in the past, you know, going to guidance counselors were maybe not the best option, especially if you have one that has implicit bias. And I think having that institute is really important um, to provide that um, support to those black individuals who want to make something and want to do something in their life um, that they're passionate about. Um, But I'll go to our last few questions. Um, Most of it's going to be about resources. So I talked about um, finding those support systems and finding those resources that are helpful to people in the black community. Because like I said, our sources are blocked. They're not very accessible, whether it is lower socioeconomic uh, status that stops them or implicit bias, right? So if we go to like a guidance counselor um, here, you know, and I'm just saying from my own perspective, not all guidance counselors are like this. You still want to try. But for me, I went to a guidance counselor and I was faced with um, insensitive comments, not about my health, but about my capabilities, Um, kind of blocking my capabilities, saying, um, oh, are you sure you can do this? I don't think you have the grades for this or da, 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 da. A lot of students, black students in particular, will experience that kind of block to the accessible uh, support they need. What resources are out there for us to go to to get the support we need? 
Once again, another excellent question. Uh, one thing about the Black community, it's not monolithic. So um, believe it or not, the church is a really great resource. And what I mean by that is usually the pastor. Uh, there's different people that are in the church. Like my home church actually created like a business thing. Everybody in the church they could put their business in there so you could actually see what people was doing. It's like, oh, I didn't know you was a marriage and family therapist. Oh, I didn't know you did this. And so having those systems that they may not be on a big billboard or they may not have, you know, um, a web page or something like that. And so knowing that those things are there, like I, uh, for example, I had a student during COVID who decided that she's a teacher. She said, I'm going to start in my community uh, for parents who was having a very difficult time being online and helping their students because they didn't know the subjects and just being able to help them navigate that. And one of the things I said was, how are you going to get the word out so that the people, she said, I'm just going to do it for the people on my block. Um, you know, and so that's enough. It's kind of an informal way. No Facebook page, but a teacher who said, I want to help parents and I want to set up some kind of tutorial, you know, to help these parents that was feeling stressed and not knowing how to help their students get through all of this work. So that's one way uh, you will constantly hear me as an educator talk about books. There are numerous of books that are out there that are resources that you can easily just Google black therapy, uh, black mental health, and then being able to get these resources in the book. And one of the things I like to do when I get a book is I'll look in the reference that will lead me to other programs. And because we live in such a global society, a society that you can get on and I can like I'm here in Montgomery, Alabama, you're somewhere else, and we're talking in real time. So that's another option that you can do uh, is connecting across lines like this. And um, if you are running an after-school program, if you're doing some summer thing, is don't be afraid to reach out to other people just like you did me and say, hey, would you be willing to come and share and talk to my students? There's a lady out of Atlanta, she does black, um, black girls therapy. You know, and a lot of times you think, well, I I'm not going to have the resources. I'm not going to have the money. You know, they cause, but just ask them. You never know. This could be part of something that they're willing to do. Like you called me. Uh, there was no fees attached. There's nothing. I was like, yeah, I'm super excited to do that. And so you will find that you have the National Institute of Mental Health, and that name. Uh, but it also has a uh, black part of that it, that you can click on and you can see. So just a ton of uh, uh, information. If there is a black therapist that is out there that you know of, there are black networks, um, you know, like the Black Psychologies Association, you have a network of black counselors. It's tap into those resources. Don't be afraid to tap into those resources. And don't feel like you got to keep reinventing or creating another program. Is there a program out there that you like? Contact that program and said, hey, I would like to do this program here in Gaston. And, it, and they would say, sure, let's so, so just replicate that program. They may be the mother program 
But a lot of times what you'll find is people keep creating different programs that will help us pull our resources together. And if you are working with that program, they will be able to funnel you all those basic foundations and give you the resources. You will find that there are more people that are willing to help that are not willing to help and provide you with uh, videos, training aids, and, and come down to train the trainer kind of thing. Uh, also, if you are near a community college or a college is reach out to those individuals because a lot of times on college camp they they do community service um, that's why they're called community college they're supposed to support the community but we don't necessarily think of them in that way we kind of like they over there they're doing their thing but maybe tap into those resources that are there and say what are you all doing when it relates to mental health? Are there some workshops or seminar? Is there anybody that I can have to come in for Zoom time just to have a, a fire chat? Because a lot of times those things are non-threatening. So those are things that there are a lot of 1-800 numbers that you can call that when you call those numbers, they will send you a lot of free resources. And, and so a lot of times what keeps us, we think, I don't have the financial resources. And so just start where you are. And then you will find out that the doors will begin to open but, and build you uh, some kind of resource library. You know, there are different books that are out there, like the post, uh, you might have heard of this, the post-traumatic slave syndrome. Uh, there's another one called um, Black Pain. That's a book that I really, really, truly like. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's a, it just looked like I'm well, but I'm not. And it's written by Terry Williams. Uh, Real Talk for uh, Black Women, uh, Willow Weep. Uh, she's a woman who's talking about uh, Black depression. There's an older book called Black Rage. So, and then a the thing that you can do is try to do it in a non-threatening way. Sometimes you can do it through a book club. You know, said so we're gonna read this book, and then you will find that people will start open up. Yeah, I've experienced that. I can relate to this. Like I thought, your questions were very great. They were very phenomenal, and that's the thing that I do with my book. Like even with uh, Little Miss Linda Go to Counseling, it comes with the curriculum. It has some questions, and so when I'm out working with students, I ask them about that, those questions, which allow them to kind of talk about things. So therapy does not always have to look in the structured kind of way. It can be done in an informal way. And uh, you ask me about resources, I would definitely tap into a lot of the 800 and, and look at the various websites and things that are out there. They also have a um, People have a lot of Facebook page. So there's one called the Black Mental Wellness and they have clinical psychologists and they have a wealth of information. They have like tips on how to cope through COVID-19. They even have little seminars that they have. And a lot of times when people do workshop, they will actually post those workshops. So if you're not able to attend them, you can bring your group in and allow them to look at it and then have discussions around. So hopefully I provided you um, some information in that area. And also, like I said, tap into your colleges and university. Like I say, with the uh, internet, they could be anywhere. They could be in mm -hmm. South Alabama. They can be at Alabama, Alabama A&M, Jackson State. They can be in all of these places and say, hey, I got a group of young women, men that I'm working with, and I would really love for you to um, encourage them and, and just tell your story. 
Mm, I love that. You just laid it down for me. And I think the important thing to to realize with the Black community, we, in, in the past, we've always leaned on each other to make it through these times. And I think that's something I can say to the Black youth today, lean into your community because the help is there. The church definitely is there. Um, and then just leaning into, uh, I guess, pillars in your community, in the community college. That kind of resourcefulness is what got me through my issues because I didn't have the financial resources. A lot of us do not have the final financial resources. And with insurance, they don't necessarily always cover mental health wellness, which is unfortunate because it should. But I digress. Um, that's something important. Uh, that people without that wealth to know. There is still a, a library of resources for you to use to make it through whatever you're going through, no matter how much money you make. Um, but thank you for giving me all of this goodness. I love it. Everything that you said today is something I want our kids to know. I work with a group of uh, you know, Black youth um, with my friend Shambrika. She has an organization called Project Speak Out, and it's mainly a, a youth organization that centers around helping BIPOC youth and at-risk youth. And I think this is something that I would like to show them because with COVID, with what's happened today, I can't imagine being a student right now. I cannot imagine being a young person right now because the, the future, if it wasn't certain before, it definitely isn't now. It's very anxiety and and that's something that I want people to recognize if you do experience anxiety through these tough times. Please listen to this podcast. Please lean on your family and please give yourself some grace because it's very, like I said, it's very difficult for our youth and what they're experiencing now in this time in history. But um, before we go, I want to ask, where can we purchase your books and how can we follow you as a, um, I guess, a counselor? <laughs> Great questions. I do not have a Facebook at this time. No, <laughs> uh, I don't. I uh, so I, but you you can purchase the books on Amazon, and there are individuals that will get in touch with me if they want a large quantity of books, and I purchase them, and they just directly. You can also purchase them directly from me. But right now, those are the two ways in which you can purchase the book. That is one through Amazon. And you also can contact me and I will make sure you get the books. Yes. And thank you. you can follow me through my uh, just emailing me. <laughs> I have started doing spoken word. And yes. so I'm, I'm very new at it. So uh, you can reach out to me on there. I do respond to emails and things of that nature. So if you do it through those avenues, I will get in touch with you. Thank you. Dr. And thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. You mentioned that these are uncertain times and you can't imagine being a student or what would happen. But I just want to take a moment to encourage you and say, you are making the best of this time. You could easily crawl into a corner and say, well, there's nothing I could be doing. You've started this podcast. You're still saying there are things that can be done because you can get sucked in into the bigger world and lose sight of what things that you can do. And just look at the world as a pie and say, this is my slice, this is my sphere of influence, and I'm going to make an impact. And that's how, and just one step at a time. So I commend you for what you are doing. And I appreciate you for giving me this opportunity and look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Hall. 
So with this episode, I hope that one thing we can take away is that black folks have more than enough stressors that can contribute negatively to our well-being. And even with these stressors, we must extend ourselves grace because mental illness can affect anyone. We are only humans, and to better ourselves and survive in this oppressive world, we have to educate ourselves about mental health wellness and what healthy coping skills look like for you personally. I cannot stress this enough. If you find yourself unable to pull yourself from a dark place, please seek out a professional help. I myself benefited from antidepressants and school counseling to maintain my mental well-being and from talking with a professional, I learned how to cope in a healthy way and gained effective mental wellness skills that I still use to this day. Some low-cost and free resources can stem from many places. If you are religious, churches offer wonderful support. Historically, the church has been a place of mental health support for the black community and has gotten us through very difficult times in the past. Some churches even offer faith-based counseling at no cost, and Bible Bible studies also provide support and a sense of community for those who need it. Shout out to Community Protectors Project. (laughs) Most places of employment offer free employee assistance programs that you can call anytime and speak with a counselor. Schools have similar programs as well for students. Whatever resource you do choose, knowing yourself and recognizing when you need help is not weak, but an example of true strength and resilience. Thank you for listening and take care.